Please be seated. Would you pray with me? Most gracious God, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to gather and remember this amazing story. Thank you for the opportunity to respond with worship and gifts and sacrifice. We pray, Lord, that you might pour upon me the gift of preaching today, that my very frail and broken and human words might, by the power of your Holy Spirit, become your living word, uniquely crafted for each and every one of our hearts. We pray it with great confidence, for we pray it in the name of the baby born in Bethlehem. Amen. Well, today's theme in our worship series is how the wise men worshipped. This week I discovered the carol, We Three Kings, was written by a pastor named John Henry Hopkins in 1857. It is known as the first famous Christmas carol composed in America. As we heard today, today is the third Sunday in Advent, and the theme is joy. And man, I felt joy when the children's choir was singing Sounding Joy. Wasn't that wonderful? Today's scripture states that when the Magi saw the star had stopped over the place where Jesus lay, they were overjoyed. How's your joy factor this Advent season? For even in this season, maybe especially in this season, there are many things that can hinder our joy. From the harriedness of the season to the brokenness and hatred we see in the world, to our own sadness or doubt or pain or grief. Even so, may we slow down and create space for joy to have its place too as we celebrate our Savior's birth. As the Magi's story begins, we quickly surmise that there's a lot going on. There's light and darkness There are insiders and outsiders. There are pagans and supposed believers. There are those who you wouldn't think would worship Jesus who do. There are those who you would think would worship him who don't. And in some odd way, this brings me comfort. For by orchestrating such oddities into the very heart of this story, God is showing us how unconventional his earthly visit is. And God definitely has his own agenda going on. Let's take a closer look. Matthew says there were magi coming from the east who stop off in Jerusalem to ask about the birth of the king of the Jews. Now, it would be natural that they would stop in Jerusalem because Jerusalem's the capital, right? So they're expecting probably for the king to be born there. And it becomes really apparent quickly that that's not the case. It says... They ask, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Once again, those on the outside, the Magi, are actually on the inside. And those on the inside, the king and his Jewish subjects, are actually on the outside. The Magi have sacrificed greatly to come and worship a new king. At hearing the news, the Judean king and his subjects are only disturbed. Dale Bruner, in his Matthew commentary, makes this observation. The initial themes of Matthew 2, then, 
are people coming to Christ with worship in their hearts, the Magi, and people coming to Christ with murder on their minds, Herod and his group. Truly, when you think about it, this is utterly shocking on both sides. Why are God's chosen people disturbed? And what is God up to with the Magi? Dale Bruner again. The Magi were outsiders both in race, they were Gentiles, and Gentiles were anyone who wasn't Jewish, basically. So they were Gentiles, and in profession, astrology. Yet, they were invited to the party. Whatever one thinks of the Magi as sincere and so literally following their lights or as idolatrous and so captive to superstition, one thing is clear. God in great kindness leads them to his son. This is the second group of outsiders God has invited to the big event. If any of us were considering God's miraculous and world-changing visit to planet Earth and we were guessing who would be on the invitation list, you have to admit that the shepherds and the wise men would not have made the cut. Of course, God doesn't need mismanners to understand whom the world would expect God to invite to the birth of God's Son. So God is definitely making a point by not following protocol. And I believe the point God is making is not just at the time of Jesus' birth, in other words, for those people at that time, but for you and for me today. As I said last week, the shepherds were looked down upon because of their lowly social status. And the, the Jews that practiced, you know, that would go to, to, uh, on Sabbath to the temple and, and do all the rituals, um, the shepherds couldn't do that, especially during certain seasons because they had to be out with their sheep. And so they were seen as unclean. They were not respected. They were looked down upon. And the Magi, who as magicians, you know, Magi is the root word for magician. uh, Magicians and astrologers believed the stars guided their lives rather than God and were judged as pagans by Israel. In fact, every time Magus, which is the Greek word for Magi, is mentioned in the New Testament, it's in a negative light. So, besides here. So, These people were definitely not your typical invitation, right, to the big event. Yet God has specifically and exclusively made sure both groups witness Jesus' arrival, right? He writes it into the stars and he has angels show up, right, with the shepherds. There are no priests, there are no prophets, there are no Jewish kings or royalty who are even informed. King Herod is obviously caught by surprise, isn't he? They, the ones we would all assume to be present, are not invited. Here's my take on why. I believe God excluded insiders at the most important God event to ever happen on planet Earth to ensure that we know that outsiders are front and center in God's salvation story. I want to say that one more time, right? The reason God does this, I mean, he's, he's infusing outsiders into the most important story in all of God's story. He's embedding it in. And so because of that, I believe that he's saying outsiders are front and center in his salvation story. God loves those that the world rejects and is especially sensitive to them. 
I mean, this is pretty controversial, you guys. I mean, I don't know, you know, what kind of new age kind of religion really makes you kind of, you know, janky in the way you view people. It's like, wow, what do they believe? Whatever that is, that's who the Magi were, right? For a Jew, that's who they were. This wasn't like a minor, oh, you know, let's just kind of ease them in. This was a major difference. They didn't even believe in this God. What an amazing thing that God says, you're front and center. And then look how the Magi respond. They respond in worship. My takeaway from that is to be careful who I judge and who I exclude. To be careful who I call accepted and who I call rejected. I should treat those who practice other religions with respect. And I should trust God can work outside the box, so to speak. In reaching them. And man, in today's culture, I gotta tell you, this is just not happening. There is so much ugliness. So I mean, we're seeing the violence on all sides, right? Regarding both Muslims and Jews right now. Unbelievable things are happening. Whether we agree with what people believe or what they don't believe, our response has to be different, even than their response. Maybe they don't respond to us well, but that doesn't matter, right? We are challenged by God to keep an open mind and to trust that God can be at work in ways that we don't see or understand. I guarantee you, King Herod that day had no idea at the time that God was right in the middle of all the signs that he had given the Magi, right? In their own religion. So we have to treat the disrespected in society with dignity and respect. God says in Hosea chapter 2, I will show love to those who are called unloved. And to those who are called not my people, I will say, you are my people. And they will answer, you are my God. This is the hope of the gospel. This is one reason God came, right? Is that all people would come to Jesus. And that hope, God has that hope always. It's truly amazing when you think about it. God in his sovereignty, as I just said, works in the middle of the Magi's star-crossed religion to draw them to the truth. He doesn't come with a prophet outside to talk to them. Hey, 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 ignore your stars. You just need to listen to me. There's a king that's going to be born. No, God embeds it in the pagan part of what they're doing. He just puts the message right there so they can see it. I mean, that's pretty bold. And it shows us that God can work in any circumstance and in any way. When they arrived, Matthew says, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. What a contrast to Herod and so many in Judea who wanted nothing to do with this new king. These men who claim that the stars are the power guiding their lives present, op- present open, sorry, um, they openly demonstrate Christ as king. Sorry, I had an extra word in there. Dale Bruner again, when people are drawn to find and worship God's Christ, they also find themselves wanting to bring him their finest resources. 
Christmas gift giving has its origin here. The first gift giver is God. Now the first human gift givers are magi. The sign of Emmanuel's coming impacted these wise men in dramatic ways. Their celestial interpretations led them to commit to a journey of many months or more. At once, and once they arrive overjoyed, they sacrificially share precious gifts with the child. And even more, they share the gift of their hearts as they bow and they worship him. This is the challenge that God's story of love and sacrifice clearly lays before us. Christmas teaches us the first gift giver is God. What will our response be? Like the Magi, will we believe the signs given and the sacrifice and and sacrifice whatever it takes to be Christ's presence? Will we share gifts with him that are precious to us? In other words, will we allow the gift of Jesus to impact how we steward our lives? In some sense, this is what I was talking about a minute ago and how we treat people who are different than us. How do we steward our lives? Do we act and treat others as God calls us to or do we not? Do we share of our resources with others and with the church or do we not? Do we worship as a response to what Christ has done or do we not? How might Jesus desire you to respond this this Christmas? Because if Scripture's take on this story is right, then we are called to share of our very lives and we are called to bow down and to worship. I want to continue um, singing. And today we're going to sing the same song we did last week. I think for for Advent, this is a great uh, two courses that you already know. And um, I just want to encourage you in light of that message, the message of the Magi, what is your response? And will you... Engage your heart. Oh, hang on. There we go. Will you engage your heart? Like as we sing, and I said this last week, come into God's presence. Engage your heart. Trust that God is here with us. And sing to him. Believe the words that you're singing, Gloria in excelsis Deo, glory to God in the highest. Oh, come, let us adore him, for you alone are worthy. You alone are worthy. Yeah. 
Oh, good. Sing it out. Oh, come let us adore him. Oh, come let us adore him. Christ the Lord. Thank you. Thank you that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. And that, God, you came among us. You visited us to save us from ourselves and from all the hurt and the pain that we see around us. Thank you. May you receive our worship today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and continue worshiping together. Mm -hmm. 